0: Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. Well, friends, thanks for joining me after about a month off. Over the past month, I have been working on editing my second book, which will be released in March of 2022. The uh, title of that book is cultural counterfeits confronting five empty promises of our age and how we were made for so much more. I'm super excited for the release. Of course, we have to wait about another eight or nine months, but um, it's already up for pre-order on Amazon. If you want to go take a look and see what that book is all about. So um, last week I reached out to all of you via Instagram and said, Hey, what do you guys want me to podcast about next week? And I was really um, appreciative for all of the feedback. And I have to say the overwhelming majority in the feedback was it is pride month. Could you please address LGBTQ issues. And so there was a number of ways that um, you guys approached that question a lot of you reached out, especially to ask, how should I be talking to my kids about this issue? In fact, on one day, there were three different friends who approached me and said, hey, I need help thinking through this through. How should I talk to my elementary school child or my preschool age child or even my teenage child? How do I talk about these issues with my kids? And so I thought, you know, that's exactly probably what I need to do on this particular episode. And that's also something that is addressed in my forthcoming book called Cultural Counterfeits. So especially for those of you who are parents, so you're thinking through things like this um, from what you've brought to my attention is things like school curriculum Or maybe your child has a friend at school who has chosen to be transgender or go by a different name or different pronouns. Your kids are coming to you saying, how do I talk to this friend? Or maybe it's their friend's parents. Of course, um, Blue's Clues and Sesame Street are coming out with some LGBT um, content. Uh, Another friend reached out about a family wedding. So I know this is something that is confronting you and your children throughout the day and through various avenues. So on this episode, I could go in a lot of different directions, but I really do probably just want to focus on primarily, how do we talk to our kids about these issues? Because when we do when we think about how we want to talk to our kids about it really that means how do we want to talk to ourselves about it you know what are the things that you and I hold deeply what are our convictions what are our deeply held beliefs because that's what's going to come through in our conversations with our children so you know this is about talking to your kids but it's also about talking to yourself because we are in the midst of a culture that is rapidly changing especially in this specific area of gender identity and sexual orientation the conversations surrounding these issues are rapid and they are powerful. They are convincing. They are sweeping. These are strong conversations that are taking place. And so we need to be giving them some incredible attention and care and intentionality, or we will be either swept along with the cultural trends, or we'll want to just stick our heads in the sand and pretend like this isn't really happening. So Before we actually get into the nuts and bolts of what a conversation with your kid might actually look like, I think there's a few important foundational beliefs for you and me, or some convictions that you and I need to address in our own hearts. If we don't lay this important foundation for our own hearts and souls and minds, then the conversations that we're having with our kids are going to go awry, and they're going to go off at one ditch onto the right or onto the left. Because again, these conversations are hard, and the conversations are happening whether we're participating them or not. You know this cultural shift is strong. It's coming through weddings, as we just said, school curriculum, TV shows, apps, um, pop culture, social media, it's happening. So we are in the middle of a powerful conversation and we need to participate. And of course, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we just need to readily admit that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are approaching this conversation in helpful ways, and some are approaching it in really unhelpful ways. And we in the church, whether we like it or not, or whether we own it personally or not, we have a history of mistreating minorities and maybe reacting without grace and only with truth and without love. And so the world is watching our friends, people who have real souls and real relationships, our family members, people that we love, they are watching. And so it's really important that you and I get this right, that we do respond with both grace and truth. So Some foundational thoughts, some things to sort of orient our hearts to before these conversations start. I think, first of all, we just have to acknowledge the fact that you and I want so badly to be accepted by other people. You and I do not want to offend. We want people to like us. This is something I battle with all the time. I want the applause of man. I don't want people to dislike me. And so it can be really easy just to remain silent, especially in this conversation, because we feel torn between, well, do I follow my biblical convictions? Do I follow the word of God? Or do I choose to be accepted and to not offend people in my sphere? Of influence. But as Christians, the real burden or the real question that we should be asking ourselves, the thing that should be keeping us up at night, is not am I accepted by other people, but am I accepted by Jesus Christ? Am I accepted by my creator and my savior? Has he accepted me? And then if I am in him, you know, how does that impact how I think and how I live and what I talk about? Are my friends accepted by Christ? Is my family members accepted by Christ? You know, is the world around me? Where is Christ influencing the world around me? So the question that I want to be asking myself is, am I holding out the words of life? Am I pointing to the giver of life? Am I holding out a savior to a world that is perishing? Because the reality is you and I are going to offend. That's just true. We are The word of God is offensive and it doesn't really fit in to 2021. And so if you and I are going to be rejected, and honestly, caveat here, that's true for everyone, Christian or not, we live in the middle of cancel culture. So everyone's going to offend and everyone's going to be rejected. But what I want to remind myself of in you is that the true and warm, but also hard words of Jesus have been wooing people to himself for millennia. And that is not going to stop now. Our God is on his throne. He is not freaking out. He is not anxious in this age. He's not worried about offending because for those who have ears to hear the word of God, are the words of life. The word of God is speaks life. So the question for you and me is, do we believe the word of God? Do we believe our creator? Do we believe our savior? Or will we choose to follow him? Or will we follow the words of this world? Do we choose the words of this world and the movement of this world over the the, the truth of our savior? Where does our allegiance lie? So we've got to settle that heart, that in our own hearts first. We have to settle in our hearts you know, who Jesus Christ is, are we accepted on his terms? Is he, is our relationship with Christ infinitely and eternally more valuable to us than our acceptance by other people? Because the reality is Jesus is the way and the truth and the the life. No one can be saved and no one can thrive apart from a relationship with him. Jesus is our one and only hope. And so many of us have misplaced our hope in the cultural counterfeits of our age. So where is our identity? Where is our allegiance? Okay. Um, I love the words of the apostle Peter. He said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's in John chapter six. So I just love Peter. He's like, Jesus, where would I go? Where else would I turn? You're the one who has eternal life. It's your words that I believe. So friends, our homes and our hearts will hold out hope to our neighbors and to our loved ones when they, when our friends are exhausted and hurt from trying to keep up with the idols of our age and you and I continue to hold out the words of life and to point to our Creator. And Savior. Our lives, as countercultural and as embarrassing and as awkward as they may be, they are going to point to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. So, Christian friends, as you follow Jesus, you hold out life to a world that is perishing. And as we hold out life, we need to remember that the gospel is not only that we are sinners in need of a savior. No, the gospel starts way before that. The gospel starts with a good creator who has been pursuing us since before we ever even gave into sin. So if you and I are going to be well, if we are going to thrive, if, our, if we are going to be all that we were supposed to be, then we have to know Jesus. We have to follow our creator. We have to abide by the character and the design and the purposes of our creator and savior, because without him, we are lost. Without him, we have no real hope. We don't have anything of true substance or of eternal value. Nothing and no one to hold on to in the chaos and the pain of our current age. So bottom line is life will not go well for any of us if we are living outside of the design of our creator. Our mate, he is our maker and he knows how he knit us together. He designed us on purpose for a purpose. So it's wise and it's good. It's life giving to pursue what our creator says about how we are to live and to move and to conduct ourselves. Human well being requires harmony with reality. I'm going to say that again. Human well being requires harmony with reality. We will not be well unless we align ourselves with the design and the character and the goodness of our creator and our maker and our savior. Okay. So next point, the gospel doesn't just start with that, that we are sinners in need of a savior. No, it starts with our creator, our creation and design. It also doesn't stop with the truth that we are sinners in need of a savior. The gospel goes beyond that. The gospel culminates in our restoration or our consummation in the new heavens and the new earth. This life, friends, what you see around you right now, what's happening in 2021 in this crazy, chaotic cultural age, this is not all there is. You know, as Randy Alcorn says, I love to quote him, this is the pre-party to the real party. This is the pre-life to true life that is ahead. This life is short. The Apostle James says this, that we are a mist, the grass withers and the flowers fade, says Isaiah and says Peter. So Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. One day you and I and every Christ follower will be resurrected and we will join our savior in a resurrected creation. The new heavens and the new earth are coming. So this life that we are living right now is brief. These trials that we are facing are momentary. So let's embrace them. Let's just face the reality that there is going to be hardship. We are going to be rejected. There is going to be offense. And then let's move on because eternity is real, heaven is real, and that's where we are headed. So the suffering that you and I might endure in this lifetime, the offense or the rejection that we endure, is brief. Again, the question is where does our allegiance lie? Who do we believe and who do we follow? So really this discussion that we want to have with our kids starts with a reminder of what's true and questioning ourselves. Do I believe what's true? Am I being discipled by the world and so fixated on the world that I've forgotten the truth and the potency of my God and his word? Am I so worried about the here and now that I've minimized the power of the gospel, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. This is where the conversation with ourselves and with our kids has to start a recommitment every day to what we really believe a rehearsal of what's true. Because again, the cultural conversation that's happening is powerful. It's very strong and it's potent. So we must be daily asking ourselves daily, rehearsing the truth. Where does my allegiance lie? what I'm noticing even in my own, sometimes in the way that I speak in my own conversations and conversations with other believers is that we are so quick to sort of feel bad, to apologize, to sort of feel embarrassed. Now, of course, if we are speaking in a way that is bigoted or unkind or hurtful, then we are right to repent and to feel ashamed and to apologize. But to speak life and to hold out the words of life is nothing to be ashamed of or to apologize for or to be embarrassed about. The words of Jesus are life. There's no reason to apologize for the word of God. There's no reason to not be looking for freedom and hope and joy and sharing them with others because this is a life saving message that you and I have. So, my encouragement to you, my reminder to me is let's not hold back. Let's not hide. Let's not feel silly and embarrassed and awkward. Let's remember these words words speak life. The world, the culture around us is declaring a story that just falls short. And the story says, you know, you, you do you, you decide who you are. You create your own identity, try on this identity, try on that identity, maybe reinvent yourself and then work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps to be that person. That story falls short. And not only that, but we are living in a world that is broken. We are living in bodies that are fallen. You and I and everybody else fall short of the glory of God. So all of us are struggling with various sins, and all of us are struggling with disordered loves. Oftentimes those struggles and those disorder loves are related to heterosexual sins and homosexual sins. The truth is because we live in a fallen world, because we are sinful human beings, all of us, 100% of us are struggling with various sins this world around us is broken. And so there's also physical illness, mental illness, emotional sickness. There are so many issues that all of us are dealing with, whether it's a dysmorphia, feeling like we are not in the bodies that we should be in, or we hate the bodies that God has given us, or we've been abused. We have suffered at the hands of someone who should have been taking care of us. So whether it's the sins that we commit or sins that are committed against us, or just the struggles of living in a world that is sick and fallen, there are so many issues at play when it comes to these conversations. It's really kind of like a limitless spectrum of issues that we could discuss here. But suffice it to say for this conversation, the world says define who you are, but the Bible says, no, it is God, your good creator who loves you infinitely. It's he who defines who you are. So Jesus, the risen Savior who died on your behalf, who conquered death, who rose from the grave, and he's coming again, that's who defines you and me. You and I who receive his forgiveness and his salvation, we are defined by him. He designed us to be defined By him, So the Bible tells a better story. The world tells the story that falls short, that is um, unsatisfying, that ultimately is dependent on you and me. And we are not sovereign. Our God is. But the Bible tells a better story. So my encouragement is let's embrace it and let's rejoice and let's find comfort in the true and the best story. And let's be unflinching and unapologetic about it. But with kindness and care and with love, let's share it with others. So as a reminder to you and me, here is what the Bible tells us. What follows is just a sampling of what the Bible says about things like gender identity, sexual orientation, sexuality, relationships. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. After all, this is one small podcast episode but I think it's so important that we remember we are creatures with a creator. We have a God who made us and he knows what's best for us. We know who we are. And I've said this before so many times because of whose we are, right? We know who we are because of whose we are. So for Christians, our creator is also our savior. And this is what his word says to us about identity and sexuality and relationships and so much more. Again, not exhaustive, but hopefully helpful. So throughout the Bible, we see this theme of unity and diversity, In the story of creation, we see that God created all kinds of couples. So things that were the same, but different things that are different from one another, but complement one another. We see him create the heavens and the earth the sun and the moon, morning and evening, day and night, sea and dry land, plants and animals, and man and woman. So there's unity. These things are the same. They go together and yet they are different. And God created these things, said they were good, said we need both. We need both halves of each of those couples that complement one another. Secondly, you and I as humans are made in God's image. And in order to fully express his image, God made both male and female. So both genders, both male and female, they're not an accident. They're not an afterthought. But our two genders, male and female, are by God's design, by his choice. This was what he chose to do. This is what God did to reveal what he is like. And he said, we need both genders for procreation. God gives us the gift of being, I guess you could say, like sub-creators or co-creators with him because we do get to participate in creation. He designed that procreation to be done with both male and female. He said, we need both genders. Both are necessary to image him and to create new life. Now, of course, we see these things, these truths, not just in creation, but in the New Testament in Matthew 19, Jesus confirms what we read in Genesis. So here, these are the words of Jesus from Matthew 19. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. That's Matthew 19 verses four through six. So we see here in the new Testament, Jesus confirming first that God is creator, that he created us male and female. We see Jesus saying that only men and women can join fully in sexual union with the opposite gender. And Jesus says what God has done, people should not undo. So God created us in a specific way. Scripture is clear that we should walk in accordance with that design. But if we insist on going against God's good design, we've got Romans chapter one, for example, there's many other scriptures I could point to, but Romans chapter one says that God will ultimately hand us over to our idolatry, to our lusts, to our dishonorable passions, as it says. And ultimately it says, God will hand us over to our death. God does not want us to live contrary to His good design, but if we do, it will be to our demise. And of course, we must remember from the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but the body is meant for Jesus. I love these verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. They have been so instructive um, in my own personal testimony They've been instrumental for me in my own Christian walk. They tell us we are not our own, but we were bought at a price. So you and I were made by Jesus and we were made for Jesus. Sexual sin is a wrong that we commit against our own bodies and against the bodies of others and against the Lord. So rather than asking, what can I get away with? Let's be asking instead, how can I honor, how can I most honor God as he is my maker? So, this is just some of the biblical truths that I think are so important to remember. And when we sit down to have these conversations with our kids, or when we're wrestling through them with ourselves, we just have to remember we have a creator who is good and beautiful and true, and he had a way that he designed us. And if we focus on that, if we sort of give preeminence and priority to the creation story and to the reality that the character of our creator is good, then some of these other cultural pieces just fall into place by virtue. Of the fact that we are laying these foundational truths and rooting our hearts in what is true, then some of the chaos of the age comes into order as we remember what is really true from the word of God. So the question is, are we being discipled by Christ and his word, or are we being discipled by Instagram? So be sure you're being discipled by the right things and internalizing the word of God. So, When these biblical and foundational truths have been settled in your heart and mind, then I think there's some practical truths that can help us think through how we talk to our kids or how we have other conversations. There's definitely no template. There's no exact right way to engage. You know, all of your kids are different. All of your contexts are different. You're all different. What's good in one situation might not necessarily be super useful in another. So... um, and I think too, what we need to remember is there's not exactly one right Christian answer for every um, every situation. I get messages in my DMs and um, on my website frequently that say, you know, what should I do in my particular company um, during Pride Month with this particular example, or what should I do in my school district or with my kid or for this wedding or this that and the other. And the reality is. As followers of Christ, we're going to land in different places in those specific contexts. And that is okay. There's not a template for all of us to be following. But if we are being shaped by the word of God, the people of God, and the spirit of God, then we can trust him to help us so I think first the first principle I would apply to when you're talking to your kids about um, these particular issues they might want to be talking about what's going on with their friends or their friends parents or even what's going on within themselves I think it's important that you and I seek to really listen and ask good questions and understand what's going on don't assume that you know where your child is coming from or don't assume that you know what they believe or what they're wrestling with but be a good listener these issues are so multi-layered so first and foremost make time and space to have slow conversations where you're really um, drawing your children out and asking them um, what's going on in their lives. You know, and depending on their age, those conversations are going to be different. Secondly, my encouragement and reminder to you and me is that we be praying with our kids and for our kids. we be praying for ourselves, for our friends, model a praying lifestyle to your children. So what's going on in our culture right now? And there's just the changes that are happening and the sin around us. And this is not true. This has been the case since Adam and Eve, but these issues are bigger than our own power and our our own ability to persuade or our own ability to get things just right. We need to be calling on our God above and asking him to give us wisdom as he promises to. We also need to be praying for healing and just asking the Lord to intervene. People are the victims of abuse. People are the victims of wrong teaching And of course, we're all susceptible to our fallen world and our fallen flesh. And so just praying and asking the Holy Spirit to intervene is a really important detail and part of this whole process. And of course, I say this frequently, and it's a reminder to myself is let's not be jerks. We are going to be called jerks anyway, but let's not, you know, to hold a biblical ethic, a biblical sexual ethic is to be seen as hateful. And we're going to be accused of um in conducting hate speech, but before God and before others, let's be kind. Let's make sure that our speech is seasoned with salt. Um, let's convey a deep hope and trust in the Lord. I think in these conversations, you and I can conduct ourselves in a way that is quiet and calm and loving and kind, because we know that this situation is not up to us. You are not God. I am not God. And that is really good news. God above is going to handle these conversations and he's going to, um, move amongst his people as he sees fit. And so therefore, because he is sovereign and good and kind, you and I can have these conversations from a place of rest rather than from a place of anxiety. I do think it's important, fourthly, that we do be ready to be rejected. We are going to lose friends and finances. We're going to lose jobs, like we're going to lose things. But let's remember that these struggles are light and momentary. I'm working on memorizing the book of 1 Peter right now, and I love what he says in chapter two. He says, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So let's remember rejection isn't that big of a deal. Let's be willing to be rejected for the right thing. Um, fifth, my encouragement to you and to me is to not elevate heterosexual sin above homosexual sin. I'm not sure why that's a thing, but um, in in recent Christian history, somehow same-sex attraction and transgenderism and things of that nature have been demonized or somehow seen as worse, like a special class of ugly or unforgivable sins. But to classify homosexual sin as worse than heterosexual sin is to grant those who are not same-sex attracted with some sort of unmerited self-righteousness. And this also weakens our response to other sexual sins like pornography and adultery or sexual abuse. So um, let's not categorize homosexual sins as different somehow, or as more of an affront to our holy God. I love what Christopher Yuan, he's the author of Holy Sexuality says. He says this quote, instead of differentiating between opposite sex desires and same sex desires, let's use the biblical categories of good desires and sinful desires. We must all repent of sexual sin and walk in dependence on our good God. And I just amen that. Of course, holiness that we're after, not heterosexuality. Um, that's where freedom is found. Soul deep freedom is found in holiness. And I always appreciate the words of Jackie Hill Perry. You know, she said she is it reminds her listeners and her readers that we are saved by grace through faith to be holy, not to be heterosexual. Um, and sixth, let's be discipling our, our kids to be truly loving. Let's remind our children, remind ourselves that everyone Bears the image of God. Every life is beautiful and irreplaceable and unrepeatable. There are sad and reprehensible stories of Christians mistreating people or um, mistreating people who are battling uh, various sins. So let's root out any pride, any self-righteousness um, that we might have, and let's love deeply. Let's love well. You and I are sinners. Everyone else around us is sinners. We are. We know the sins in our hearts. We, my husband always says, if you're honest with yourself, you're the worst sinner that you know. Um, so let's remember just to be walking with deep grace and love for other people and um, s- seeing others as not too far away from God, not too far to be reached, but worthy of our affection and worthy of our patience and kindness and love and care. The reality though is that true love does speak up at some point. I know it is so tempting to stick our heads in the sand, to not offend, to pretend like this conversation isn't happening around us, but true love does speak up. True love does speak life. It's not actually loving to stand by and watch a friend pursue their own destruction through sexual sin or otherwise. Um, you know, I always appreciate Rosaria Butterfield. She um, wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition a few years back when Jennifer um, or Jen Hatmaker came out saying that um, homosexual unions were holy. And such a vivid um, thing that Rosaria Butterfield said was to say to say that to someone who's same sex attracted is to hang a millstone around their neck. Um, so really, let's speak with grace and truth, but let's not forget to actually speak the truth. Um, incur, be willing to teach your children that rejection will happen. Be willing to be rejected yourself. Don't prevent your kids from experiencing the compassion and suffering of Jesus. You know, they, Don't prevent them from identifying with their Savior in his sufferings as they hold out the word of life and are maybe rejected for it. Um, don't shelter them from that. They, we know that our kids will suffer. We know that we will suffer, but God's grace will cover both you and me. So um, just to kind of bring this back home to the things that you all have been writing to me about, again, you've asked specifically about things like, how do I address my friends? How do I, what do I, should I do with my pronouns at work or pride activities at um, school or at a kid's camp? Um, what to do, you know, regarding friends coming out, parties and all those. And I just want to say, these are specific scenarios inside specific relationships with specific contexts, and there really is not an exact right single answer for any one of them. What might be loving and truthful, or truth is always objective, but what might be loving in one situation might be hanging a millstone in another situation. So you're going to have to really do your own work. And I'm going to link a ton of articles um, in the show notes. So um, not only articles, but some books, some other podcasts that you can be going to, um, but you're going to have to do your own work and decide how is the spirit leading you? How has the word informed you? Maybe how have the people of God helped you pray through this um, to respond? to respond to your specific situation. You've got to be pray- praying fervently, discipled by the word of God, people of God, and spirit of God, and then move forward in confidence. Love God and love others. Know that you will fail, but know that God is on his throne. Trust that he is working in you and through you, that by him, for him, through him, to him, you and I can um, hold out the words of life and shine like stars in a, in a dark universe. So, Friends, I entrust myself and I entrust you as well as our children to move forward in faith, knowing um, that God is not freaking out. He is not anxious in this age, um, but he is willing and able to move forward and do more than we have ever asked or imagined. So let us entrust ourselves to him. Let us follow his word and let's hold it out to a watching world. Let us speak life in our specific context, both to ourselves and to our children and to those in our sphere of influence. Thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.